And you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and joining me once again on the podcast is Roddy Brown. Hi. And now Sarah Bowman is here. Hi. Librarian over here, Sarah Bowman, and then Roddy from the circulation staff rejoining us. So we're here to talk about readers, advisory, which we do get into in the episode in terms of defining it. But Sarah, before we get into this, this is something you've been really harnessing for a long time. You've, you've even taught a course on this, right? Yes. So I was introduced not in library school, but I was introduced to Reader's Advisory at a library that I used to work at many years ago, but just by the staff there as a concept to help patrons find leisure reading materials. Excellent. And we we talked, we read books outside of our comfort zone. And I ended up teaching a class at a university there to future librarians, uh, to library school students. Um, about Reader's Advisory, where we did deep dives into genres uh, and talking about these appeal factors. I think this is episode, uh, and Roddy, you probably agree with me, it's going to be valuable for people who are listening, who are looking for something to read. I think that this episode even gets into how do you ask librarians questions? It gives you a lot of accessible language to talk about what you're interested in, which is what I needed. (laughs) We're going to talk about everything that Reader's Advisory is, and then we are going to get Reading recommendations for Roddy and I, prepared by Sarah. So here is our chat. So you said the word radio show at some point. I feel like you oh, said radio yes, show. Oh, yes, that's true. I did. I had a radio show where we talked about finance, personal finance. Oh, all right. a good radio voice. So let's just talk. Roddy, how are okay. you? I am doing okay. How are you guys? <laughs> Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great. We're here to talk about something called Reader's Advisory, or perhaps what we should call it is um, book matchmaking. I really feel like I want to start off by just finding a more fun phrase than Reader's Advisory. <laughs> it feels so insidery in industry. That's just my hot take right off the bat. I will start off by saying... And I will probably use the phrase librarian and library staff and patrons, which is very library related. Sure. But that's my background. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about today, I feel like can be used by anybody that's in a book related field, whether professionally, like a teacher, bookseller, but also people who just love to read and like making those sort of book connections. A parent. Or if you've got the, you maybe you are the friend or you have a friend who just like loves to try to sell you on their favorite thing. So this is all things that I think a lot of people, not just library staff, will hopefully find useful. Oh yeah. We're talking about where the service of a librarian, where a patron conceivably comes up to the desk face to face and says, I need something to read. The librarian's brain goes to work, asks, asks a few questions. I think there's an interview process. Maybe just explain it to it how, how that works. Okay. Is it like an interview, I guess? Well, there is something called a reference interview. Okay. Um, The dream is that, yes, patrons come up to the desk and they say, I'm looking for things to read. And they are very articulate about what exactly they enjoy. That almost never happens, (laughs) right? So, but the, the concept of Reader's Advisory really is having library staff who are knowledgeable and non-judgmental assisting readers with their leisure reading needs, whether it's fiction or even like narrative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. 
And Reader's Advisory allows for a structure of staff to talk about books that they haven't read, books and authors they haven't read, or books and authors that maybe they've read and didn't particularly enjoy. But they won't reveal that, will they? (laughs) It still gives you a way of, I think, talking about it in a a way that avoids judgment. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to promote reading and promote access to books and and authors and expand people's reading horizons without judgment and without without really measuring critical standards. Sure. Roddy, you came from the bookstore world. Yes. And in the bookstore world, aren't there booksellers and maybe they kind of do something similar? Yeah, I was a bookseller and I did that. Um, We did try to make it so that people at the very least tried to sell books in areas that they were more familiar with to try to like make it a little bit easier. Gotcha. For example, I don't really read mysteries that much. I don't have anything against them. It's just not a genre that I've picked up, but I read just about everything else. So if someone came to me for like a mystery book, I'd be like, hey, I know this person and, you know, I'd call them over. But yeah, I would be like, oh, you like this book? I also read this book that was kind of similar. You might like this book too, but they're, gosh, I'm going to sound so critical of bookstores. It's also to sell You're gonna save space as the much library. as possible. <laughs> so like, it's not even a matter of like enjoyment of the potential reader at that point. It's also just like, I also need to like sell books. So yes. let me try to like, push these books onto people regardless of if they're actually going to like it or not. Way back when, before I ever worked in libraries and former assistant director, previous guest, Darlene, uh, was just starting here. She had said, I'm a librarian now and my favorite thing to do all day is to help people find books that they like to read or make reading recommendations. And that was before I knew anything about the librarian profession. And I just thought that she was just, I don't know, just casting her whims on people saying, read this book. This is my favorite book. You should read it too. I didn't realize it was, there was such a level of nobility to it too. Um, so it, it does, I guess, is it, was, was it fun? Was it fun? Is it your favorite thing to do? Even, even if you're not in a bookstore, even if, you know, that feeling of connecting someone, isn't that just the best? I would say a lot of, and I don't know if this is true for somebody with a bookstore background, I think a lot of librarians that I have talked to over the years about Reader's Advisory are are nervous about Reader's Advisory. Interesting. Because so much of reference work, traditional librarian reference work, involves coming up, usually, with a concrete answer. Mm -hmm. And Reader's Advisory is not concrete at all. And I think that makes a lot of people nervous to not have an exact right answer you're gonna strike out Mm -hmm. like i've done this for a long time i enjoy readers advisory i make recommendations all the time that people are like "Mm, that was so off base (laughs) and that's okay because at the end of the day you're still talking to people about books and i think you're still even if you have a whole transaction where somebody might leave without anything you still made a connection with that reader and i think they're willing to try you out again next time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you spent five, 10 minutes just talking about books right. in a world that, you know, at work, sometimes it's like, mm-hmm. you don't end up doing that. So yeah, I, I really enjoy it. There's a level of delicacy to the circulation desk world too, because that is a position that is recognized as 
not acknowledging really what's being checked out. It is not, it's, it's not really the let's open up and let's share everything about what we're doing. It, your, your position is very much to just check out the books. You're doing good if you just do that because maybe the person doesn't want to talk about why they're checking out nine, yeah. nine James Patterson books. <laughs> I'm not always good at that because I get really excited about books that I like. So I'll be like, I really love that book. That's good. You should do that. I think people like it. Yeah. Most of the time that's well received. But oftentimes, yeah, I do try to like check out books with a very um, sort of blank Yeah, discreet. Sure, sure. It's tricky. (laughs) Without really paying attention to what people are checking out. But, you know, sometimes when you see, especially because we have our staff recommendations. So when we see people check those out, it's like, (laughs) you picked out my book. Yeah. That's my book. It feels so special. I hope you love it. And then the existential, like, fear of, like, what if they hate it? I wish I was better at letting that go. I mean, I'm fine if people don't like the books that I like, but then I just felt guilty. Like, why did I make them think this is going to be great if right. I didn't think it was great. I'm so sorry. I always think of Reader's Advisory it boils down to right reader, right book, right time. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if somebody didn't like a, a recommendation that you made, it might just have been the wrong time. They might have not been in the place where they needed that book or it, maybe they will never be in that place. Mm-hmm. But I think they could, you still get that connection with somebody where they still might come up to you and, you know, you could start the conversation of like, tell me why you didn't like it. Mm -hmm. That's still making those connections. And then you're going to start to learn more about what reading interests that they might like to enjoy. How do you find books for like areas that you don't read very often? There's two parts to Reader's Advisory. Okay. And one of them is, and we've talked about it just a hair, is um, being familiar with genres. You mentioned that at the bookstore. And I think it's important to read outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. But even if you're just familiar with the idea that there are genres, there are mystery books, there's romance, there's sci-fi, there's contemporary literature, there's historic fiction, narrative nonfiction. People keep telling me I got to read romance. You got to read some romance. But romance is such a huge genre. There are subgenres within yes. that genre. Yes. Same thing with mystery. There are subgenres within mysteries, subgenres within sci fi. Mm-hmm. Somebody who likes space operas might not like high fantasy. Somebody who likes Joanna Fluke's Hannah Swenson series, which is like a cozy mystery, mm-hmm. they're all the like banana cream pie oh, mystery. Yeah. Right. They're not going to like a Yo Nesbo <laughs> Nordic noir mystery. Those are different people. <laughs> So just being aware of genres, I think, is a really good step. And if you have time, dip your toe into a a genre that you know nothing about. And I think that when you read a book that's outside of your comfort zone, the second part of Reader's Advisory hopefully will kick in, which is talking about appeal factor. And that is thinking in terms of, okay, I didn't love this. This book wasn't necessarily for me. Mm-hmm. But why would somebody else love this book? And those break down into five to six appeal factor categories. And if you've never heard of the phrase appeal factors, because <laughs> Roddy is kind of looking at me like I've grown a second head. I'm going to take a guess. Which is fine. <laughs> I'm going to take a guess. This is all fascinating. Don't get me wrong. This is just my thinking face. Thinking face. <laughs> I think we're entering into how do we analyze art uh, that is telling a story, whether it is a movie or a, a book, we're following a story. Mm-hmm. 
So my first guess is, what is the pace of that story? Bingo. Okay. So before this morning, Roddy told me that she had never heard of Reader's Advisory. Book matchmaking. Book matchmaking. <laughs> but I've heard her use appeal factors almost every time she's talked about books. And the one really easy one that people are familiar with is pace. So again, fantasy is a good one to think about. Like you have maybe, we, we try not to use the phrase slow paced. <laughs> Because that classic Russian literature. <laughs> <laughs> you could think of that as like leisurely pace or highly descriptive, you know, scene setting, right? So a space opera might have like a, a little bit of that sort of like leisure pace, leisurely paced. Or then you might have a high fantasy or something with a lot of fantasy book with a lot more thriller elements that's going to be really fast paced. Okay. Pace is something that is a make or break for a lot of readers. Yeah. Some people don't mind a leisurely paced book. People who like to read sort of like literary fiction, that kind of thing, narrative nonfiction, they don't mind something that is leisurely leisurely paced. A lot of readers though get caught up on if it starts fast paced and then loses its steam or, you know, kind of vice versa, like it started off being descriptive and then it all of a sudden took off. I've heard you talk about pace. Okay. That is a really easy when you are working with um, for me when I'm working with patrons again who don't know what appeal factors are right. they often talk about pace right somebody will talk about something that's page turning right away that should spark your okay this is somebody that needs something that's fast-paced the other one that I have already heard you talk about all the time is tone and that's something, if, if you think about movies, you think about TV, that's also a really easy one to sure. sort of like start to think about. Your tone, is it dark? Is it cozy? Is it light? Is it heartwarming? Is it... Bleak, melancholy. <laughs> Bleak, melancholy. Right. I love a darkly humorous story, whether sure. it's on TV or whether it's a book, that's a, a tone that really appeals to me. Mm-hmm. It's one that can be used in, in like romance books mm-hmm. too. So... Is it something that's a little like snarky sharper or is it something that's just like more comforting and cozy? Right. Oh, that makes sense. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And tone can be a make or break for readers too. Yeah. And I and I have another appeal that I'll just tee up for Sarah here <laughs> is way way back when in the nineties, we had old school way back when, Roddy. <laughs> in the nineties. She's laughing. Uh, we had these slips that we would put in the front of the book and it would have a blank space for people to leave their own reviews of the book. And I'll never forget this one because I just kept it on my desk because I found it very amusing because it was so terse. It just said, the plot was slow, the characters were thin, it was okay. (laughs) So characters being thin, I think characters are the other appeal factor, right? So a third appeal factor is characterization. Mm -hmm. They were thin. I kind of like that, yeah, Yeah. instead of being... Or shallow or whatever. Yeah. Not shallow, but lacking depth, whatever. Instead of being well-rounded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But characterization is hard because if you get into this, like, well-developed characterization, a lot of readers will describe what they... If you say, what did you like about that book? Oh, I really liked the characters. Right. People who read Michael Connelly say that, and people who read Barbara Kingsolver say that. Right. So you have to start to think or maybe ask a little bit more pointed questions to get into, did you like that you got to know them over time Mm -hmm. or that they were flawed or that 
there were layers that took a while to kind of uncover. So that's part of the characterization, you know, to try to uncover what they enjoyed about that. On the other side, I don't, I probably wouldn't describe a character as being um, thin, (laughs) but um, as a reader of romance, I think of characters that are familiar. Yeah. Right? Right. So that's the sort of like the tropey characters. And you find that in mystery too. I mentioned Yonesbo, who Mm -hmm. writes Nordic Noir. His main character is like, you know exactly who he is when you're introduced to him. He's the like flinty divorced sure. tough guy police or maybe ex-police you know exactly who he is like grizzled you can just yeah. move right off page one sure. and you're already you already know where you're going with him grizzled i sure. love that yeah or the other impulse might be to make them quirky i'm thinking maybe a uh uh, uh a langdon from the da vinci code or a lisbeth salen so, so lisbeth from the dragon <laughs> girl with the dragon tattoo salander I would say Salander, but Sorry, yes. yes. The quirk vibe yes. is there too. Here's what I, I wanted to say is there, there's like some, is part of the excitement of doing Reader's Advisory the pressure that I think would be inherent to it? Because when we walk into a library or a bookstore, uh, we are yearning for a book that we're going to enjoy thoroughly or it'll just make us feel good. Or if we're into horror, maybe it'll scare us. We really want a visceral reaction. And the tacit implication is that because we are going to spend three weeks of our life with this thing, it's a, it's a time investment. It's not a two-hour movie that you're going to put on, on Netflix and just kind of sit through and say, well, that was a waste of my two hours. But the book is a waste of three weeks or a reward of three weeks. So I feel like there's a big thing that we're not acknowledging here. It's a big thing to hand someone a book. That's all. No question there. <laughs> Pressure. I th- but I think that brings up a good point, Jeff, is that appeal factors allow you to move away from the plot of a book yeah. and try to get at what the feel of the book is, sure. because that is what people are craving. They're craving whatever that feel is. Mm-hmm. So if you think about a book like We Write Upon Sticks, mm-hmm. which I just read, I know you read, and it's about this hockey team a field hockey team set in the 80s mm-hmm. and it's a large cast of characters i really liked it but it doesn't mean i'm looking for necessarily another book mm-hmm. about a sports a girl's sports team mm-hmm. in a high school so the the plot details are not important the feel of the book came from the characters it came from the setting it came from the tone totally. mm-hmm. maybe less degree uh, with the pace because it is a little bit right of a leisurely it is book. <laughs> it is the story isn't what's pulling you in though. Totally. Yeah. Yes. So it's that it's the it's the feel that lets you mm-hmm. um, make that connection. You also mentioned movies and TV. These appeal factors are work just as well yeah, when yeah. you're talking about movies and TV or graphic novels, all sorts of like media that we consume, podcasts, sure, for sure. example. The other important thing about characterization to think mm-hmm. about is diversity of characters which sometimes that's what people are craving. Um, maybe a strong female lead, mm-hmm. um, multiple points of view. Those are the other aspects of characterization that come into play that I think people like right. um, sometimes aren't able to articulate. But if you, you know, kind of dig in there a little bit, right. that's what you end up uncovering. Mm-hmm. I mentioned setting with We Write Upon Sticks, which I think does setting 
It's near Salem, so you know. And it's the 1980s. The witch vibe is there. It's it's witchy, it's nostalgic, it's retro, it's super fun. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you grew up in that area in the 80s, the name dropping of stores and restaurants, you'd be like, oh, yes, right there. Yes. <laughs> so setting is sometimes important and sometimes a, something that people enjoy mm-hmm. the feel of a book. Sometimes they describe it as wallpaper where it's just there, but it's not crucial. Oh, totally. The book I was telling you about galore by that Canadian <laughs> author that no one has ever heard of except Sarah and I <laughs> is set in Newfoundland in the late 1700s and Newfoundland which is not, it's raw, it's undeveloped. There's no mm-hmm. civilization there. These people are struggling. It's a character onto itself and the harshness of the cold and the water. I love that part. The setting is what I love about that book. I love it when the setting is a character. Yes. And people who- now read... you need to tell me about this book <laughs> when we're done. Oh, yes. <laughs> people who read fantasy are often, you know, people who are into world building mm-hmm. often find um, the setting to be something that's really important to them yes. becomes totally crucial to some lots of elements of the story. A few other things that I want to mention, um, writing style, I think, is a is an appeal factor that can be kind of hard. If you think about poetic, lush, mm-hmm. sparse. Sure. And I use those words as a way of getting away from describing something as well-written. Right. Again, everybody who loves a book or right. loves an author says, well, it's well written. <laughs> yes, but that could mean that could mean Gabriel Garcia Marquez or it could mean Kurt Vonnegut. And that's that's two different polls right there. All right. Or it could mean Daniel Steele. It could mean like I mentioned Michael Conley. Like yeah. it, to to people who are like really committed to mm-hmm. that author. Right. Um so it's trying to not cast judgment on the right. writing style. And then another one is the storyline or the theme. And this again, helps you think about aspects of the book that are not plot-based, but that still might draw people in. So We Ride Upon Sticks has a really good coming-of-age theme. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to do with the field hockey bits, which there's lots of field hockey in that book. (laughs) But they're they're all 17. They all have parent issues, relationship issues. Friendship issues. Yeah. Uh, Teenagers. So you have themes uh, or storyline. It might be something might be action oriented. It might be uh, nonlinear. It might be open ended, Mm -hmm. thought provoking. Um, I enjoy a fish out of water theme. Mm -hmm. I enjoy academic satire. They're not necessarily part of any one genre. They Mm -hmm. transcend genres. But people sometimes are often drawn to those specific themes. So I don't know if you guys have any themes that really resonate with you. Well, I was going to say, like, all of the language you're using is really cool because when I read books, I've never... Well, you say I use them, which I'm like, oh, I do, but it's not really a conscious thing. So now I'm like, oh, what themes do I like? Because I have to like certain themes now that I think about it. And it's just like, oh, there's so much more to this that I just was not (laughs) really cognizant of. That's really cool. I guess Hero's Journey would probably be my favorite theme. I like adventures. Like, take me on a ride with the character while we figure stuff out. That's a great theme. I think there's there's a lot of good stuff out there. So yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just the one that comes to mind immediately. And that's a that's about. a really good theme that, again, transcends, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or like crosses a lot of different genre lines. So mm-hmm. you can pick it up in different 
you know, depending on your mood or depending mm-hmm. on what you're into, you can find that theme come up in a lot of different ways. Right. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if this is a trope. Hero's journey is so snappy, but I think I'm a little moodier, and I do like people who may or may not be outsiders who just maybe think they're outsiders who are dealing with moody existentialism and where is their life going and maybe uh, some of those panics and maybe they have a bit of an edge to them. They're definitely in their own mind. They're on their uh, hero's journey. Are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) I think that, I think that the tragicness of those characters draws me Not that I see myself in them and maybe I empathize with them because they maybe don't realize how much trouble they've gotten themselves into. I, I do like those characters. But that's very much the feel of a book, is sure. what you're describing. Sure. That's what you are searching for. Yeah. And I think it's fun when you hit it. Yeah. But, you know, you, you don't always know. It's, but again, I don't, I, don't, I don't sit down to watch a say Keanu Reeves movie and say boy I hope Keanu is really moody and existential and searching for something and feeling like an outsider because I but I do think about that before I pick up a book it's just fascinating I was gonna bring up that when I watch things what I look for in things that I watch is very different than what I look for in things that I read well tell us more first of all I love like long books and things like that but I was just telling you guys I do not like tv series like if you give me something that's like this long drawn out tv story I'm like I can't can't do it. Don't ask her about Game of Thrones, folks. <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> hey, that's a good reference. <laughs> that was pretty good, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> you don't even know them. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole thing. Oh, my God. There's a character. He knows nothing. It's fine. Okay, well. There's another character who knows things. All right, go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, like, for example, I mean, maybe it's because when I read a book, I read really fast, so like for a romance novel, that's only a couple hour commitment. But like, I don't care. I'll spend as long as I need to on a book with a show or a movie or things like that. I'm just like, you're gonna get this much time and this much attention, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need a bunch of world building. You can just throw me in the middle of something and I'm there. Now, if it's a movie based off of a book, take your time. I will sit through all of the world building, all of the extended versions, Lord of the Rings. Like, I'll do that. Sure. But (laughs) that's not what I really look for in movies and things like that. So it's weird. (laughs) I will happily watch way more fantasy Mm -hmm. on screen than I will read. (laughs) And I don't know if it's the time commitment or I like the actual visual of it rather than trying to read through the world building descriptions page after page. If I'm just presented with it, Mm -hmm. I find that appealing. So yeah, I mean, I do think people have some different interests Mm -hmm. in their mediums. Because like, just really quick, for example, the Witcher series, which we were just talking about and like MK Jemisin's Broken Earth Trilogy. Broken Earth Trilogy has a ton of world building. There's a lot of like things and information that you're getting over the course of the books. The Witcher is just as fast paced as the show, which I really enjoyed watching the show because I'm like, oh, cool. We're getting right into it. They're not going to like hold our hand through this. But I know that the Broken Earth trilogy is also getting adapted and they're going to need to like really show that world building. And I'm like, 
am I gonna like it as much writing, uh, watching it as I did reading it? And I'm not sure. <laughs> so I don't know. It's so weird. But now that you point that out, I'm like, yeah. It's a commitment. It is. It's almost like we need advising on the subject. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> into some advisement oh sure i want to start actually with with roddy and i'll just go ahead this was again with readers advisory i think it is both challenging because there's no right or wrong answer sure. and it's also really rewarding it is also readers advisory is harder to do for people who are huge readers <laughs> like oh yeah maybe the two of you because well, roddy more than i Every time I felt like I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm going to, I thought of these authors, and I'm glad you mentioned N.K. Jemison because I was like, I bet she's read all of N.K. Jemison's stuff. Like, I'm not going to put her on my list. It, it makes you feel better. No pressure, because I do this thing where I will write something down and then completely forget what I wrote down. Hero's Journey is the only thing I remember from the list that I gave you. So all of this is going to be thrilling and new and exciting, because I have no idea what I told you. Roddy included Hero's journey along with romantic subplots yes character driven stories adventure tales and family drama so what do you got <laughs> so my first suggestion for roddy would be mr penumbra's 24-hour bookstore by robin sloan it's about 10 years old by now but mm -hmm. i feel like there's still hits a lot of your uh things that you might be interested in jeff have you read that I've always wanted to because it always seemed like a book that I would like. Oh my gosh. I suggested it to both of you. That's actually. great. Um, so it's based in the Bay Area. It's set in a bookstore oh. before I even knew you worked in a bookstore. Um, Perfect. But this, it follows sort of a band of misfits led by a guy named Clay and he's the nighttime clerk and there's a secret bookstore in the back of the bookstore and they figure out that these books are used to solve puzzles. So it is uh, sort of an adventurous, character-driven story, uh, hero's quest. Mm -hmm. There's a romantic subplot. Uh, it's fairly short, so I oh. feel like the pace goes pretty fast. And the tone is on the lighter, quirkier end. That sounds like fun. Love it. The second book that I would have for Roddy is City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty. I'm laughing because I bought that book, but I haven't started it yet. That's a right answer. Well, I feel like then I'm right, like I'm getting close. Getting close. Um, it, this is, I would say, in terms of tone, is mm -hmm. a little bit darker, more serious, a little bit more dramatic. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lyrical fantasy story, blends 18th century Cairo with like a mystical fantasy realm. Has a, a female character, strong female character who is trying to dupe the court into thinking she has magical powers and she doesn't think she has magical powers and then she accidentally summons a mythical warrior. I love this so much. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> so that's... Um, Those are two home runs. Uh, well, so hopefully. And then my, my third one is called Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. I've heard of Dread Nation. It's been on, see, this is great. Cause the first one I was not familiar with, okay. but so far you've hit two books that have like, I have a bad habit because I read so much of being like, 
look at all these books that I want. And then because I worked at a bookstore, I was so used to buying a lot of books, but hopefully I will break that habit. Um, so I like, I don't own Dread Nation yet, but maybe I'll just borrow it instead. <laughs> Tell I, me more, please. I think it's a trilogy. It's at least a series. There's more than one. Uh, Dread Nation's the first one. It's YA. Mm-hmm. It is um, alternative history. And so, but it's very adventurous. It features like a really memorable main character named mm-hmm. Jane. It deals with heavy themes like racism and slavery and the mm-hmm. Civil War. But it's also, on the other hand, sort of like a rollicking, like vampire adventure romp. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the tone kind of like comes in and out um, mm-hmm. with being both that sort of like darkly humorous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also pretty serious. Uh, but I, I just love the main character so much. I really like loved her, her journey. It does. I was just cheating and looking at my laptop. It does sound very much hero's journey. Yes. Just with a splash of horror, a little bit of horror. A little bit. Just a little, (laughs) little wild splash. (laughs) Is that it for Robbie? No, I have one more. I did four. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) This is the one that, um, is kind of like takes a little bit of the diversion. I went more towards the family drama with this one. And this is The Revisioners by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. I have heard of this book. It's short. So that I always feel like if sometimes if you're making suggestions for people, it's helpful not to hand them a 600-page novel all the time. Um, it's haunting. It's helpful. It's the story um, of of family um, across generations. So it's sort of like this great-great-grandma and her daughter in modern-day New Orleans and the the living past of slavery mm-hmm. throughout these generations. There isn't a hero's quest in the traditional sort of fantasy adventure right. sense, but there is a striving and a journey towards like truth and healing that is not necessarily bound by mm-hmm. time or reality. Okay. It's not fantasy. You know, no. I, I would call it like literary fiction. Okay. Um, but I thought it was really like it was one of those books where you I stayed up thinking about it okay. uh, way past uh, closing the book. But tone is is pretty serious, okay, thought provoking kind of thing. So that's what I've got for Roddy. That's excellent. Uh, that's good. It's actually really funny because Jeff was like talking to me about this thing that he wanted to do where he would ask people questions about a book recommendation really quick and then he tried it with me and he was like a funny book and I was like I don't I don't read funny books <laughs> so the tone for these is actually perfect because I don't like humor apparently That's not true, but yeah going over to to my uh descriptors which were admittedly um vague more vague than and Roddy's and it perhaps more rambling. I did say I liked well-defined, vibrant characters, and I liked. I guess I'd already said that I like have them when they have an edge to them, and if it's an existential edge, all the better. Uh, I do love snappy dialogue, and I love. I do seem to like books that have family drama and family stories and generations involved, and even time jumps. Uh, so I'm all here for that because I like the saga ness of it, mm-hmm. the family saga. And so I'm all here for that kind of thing. I have a juicy family saga for you straight off called House of Broken Angels by Luis Alberto Urrea. Never read it. All right. He's a really fantastic uh, fiction author. He's written nonfiction. He writes poetry. I remember hearing about this, though. He's a great author. Um, So this is a 
a portrayal of a family, a multi-generational family set in San Diego and in Mexico, kind of like that crossing the border back and forth. And it's a family that is divided and comes together during hard times. The characters are like full of life. They are warty, bumpy, sharp. The dialogue is, he has a really great ear for dialogue. It focuses on a, a party that happens during one weekend, but the time jump and the multi-generational, it spins back and covers kind of the backstory of this I would this be all over this. Too. If I remember correctly, the patriarch is on his deathbed or nearing it. Yes, big angel. And I never picked it up, but I, the premise of that, and so the family has to assemble, basically. Yes. I'm here for it. And then his mom dies before the party and, like, usurps his party. Ah! <laughs> It's pretty funny. <laughs> All right, House of Broken Angels. This is uh, a great title. <laughs> yes. Oh, that, this is the poet in him, right? Yeah. yeah. So my next suggestion for you, I'm worried that you've read this one uh, out of all of my suggestions, is called Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. No. Okay. Okay, no. But Roddy, yes? <laughs> no, but okay. I got really excited. Okay, so... Roddy is invested in the drama now. This, well, speaking of drama, this novel features two young siblings who, when they get upset, spontaneously combust. Oh, my God. <laughs> into real fire. <laughs> and, like, set things on fire. Hence the book cover, which we'll add in the show notes. So, it, the thing that makes this book work is the the narrator, who's not one of the two young children, is snarky and existential crisis. Love them. You gotta love them. on. Sure. And she's kind of drawn into their world. Um, and it is darkly humorous. The dialogue is crackling. Um, but it also has, I think it could go one way or the other, mm -hmm. again, thinking about tone. Um, but it is um, kind of has a big heart in the middle of it. And I think the I, the themes of finding your purpose and defining family, mm -hmm. I thought really made it work in the end because it could become it's it doesn't end up too gimmicky. Sure. I mean, they're catching on fire. That's not <laughs> that's already original. I mean, yeah, spontaneous combustion as a plot line is wild. That sounds so <laughs> Absurd, but kind of cool. <laughs> and as somebody that doesn't love magical realism mm -hmm. or a lot of fantasy myself, sure. I think if you were like, here's a book about kids who catch fire, I'd be like, no thanks. <laughs> Sarah hands me this book and she says, this ought to spark your interest. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Can't help that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So moving on from there, my third book, this one is a little bit older. This is called This Is Where I Leave You by Jonathan Tropper. Have I read? No, I'm only familiar because there was a film adaptation, there. which I also didn't see. So we're good. With Jason Bateman. So this is like a rollicking thrill ride from the first couple of paragraphs. You're going to know whether it's for you or not for you <laughs> because of the tone. And we didn't talk about red flags. I think it is important to remember for some readers Things like language, mm -hmm. sexual content, mm -hmm. violence sure. Sure. Um, can be deal breakers. Sure. You will know in the first page or two if the, these red flags uh, are deal breakers for you. It is about a, a dysfunctional family that's called together to sit Shiva um, in memory of their father mm -hmm. um, who has passed away. And their only familial language is like 
sharp bulbs and barbs and insults and salty language and inappropriate jokes. <laughs> their love language. <laughs> it, it is their love language. I thought it was funny, but I can see where some people might find that to be uh, too much. So sure. you talk about witty dialogue, like depends on how you define that or what, mm-hmm. what your cutoff tolerance. But I thought that that you do end up caring for the characters, right? Yeah. It's not all, you know, frat house jokes. Sure. Uh, I'm into it. I'm into, <laughs> I'm into I'm into spite and conniving hate as a love language, as a fan of Arrested Development. That should flow nicely. And um, great. I'm into that. Okay. My last one. Quickly, total tone shift. Not quite as sharp or existential, but I thought with kind of full characters and really a great time jump is the Sundown Motel. I still haven't read um, that one. By Simone St. James. Nice. So uh, it's horror genre adjacent, mm-hmm. but it features like it's a young woman and her aunt over two separate time periods in this sort of creepy falling down motel in upstate New York. Oh. Maybe solving crime, maybe uncovering ghosts, yet to be determined. But I think it has a, it has a really good pace and it has a, sort of memorable characters. There's a, a little bit more plot heavy than some of the other ones. Okay, sure. And a little bit darker tone. Okay, I'm so in. So you gotta be in the you gotta be in the mood for something atmospheric. I usually am. Very excited this about is this. So cool. <laughs> you went eight for eight. I can't believe you guys haven't read any of those. That's pretty great. So many of them are. I love lace books. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that I picked up House of Broken Angels and read the first ten pages, and I just don't know if I was in the right place, which is why I know scant details. And I was very much a book that was calling to me. And I feel like similar with This Is Where I Leave You. So, mm-hmm. yes. The cover alone of Nothing nothing to See Here was very enticing because it's a child bursting into flames. Yeah, the and last it's cartoonish. you named for me, I was just like, oh, yeah, these are all books that I've gravitated towards for some reason. But, you know, got lost under the other piles of books that I had. But I hadn't heard of the... I think I heard the title of the first one, but I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know it. <laughs> this is the magic of Reader's Advisory. It is. I just did think of something else that I did not put on the list, but I really love a good villain in a story, but I don't know if that's something, because I feel like that's also a really broad thing, but I also just made a display of books about villains. So I was going to say, you know, at the at the top of this, I mentioned like the, the fantasy patron who comes mm-hmm. in and, and says, well, I'm looking for something great to read. Here's the very specific things that I enjoy. That doesn't happen very often. Right. So you have to seek out sometimes uh, avenues in which to to talk about readers advisory with mm-hmm. patrons. And there's ways that librarians, booksellers, teachers, parents can do this. I often think about it in ways of if I'm placing holds for a patron on the mm-hmm. really popular stuff, I'm like, we don't have that. But if you've got a minute, let's find something for you. Okay. Also, passive readers advisory is something that's really I think crucial too, and libraries and bookstores do well, mm-hmm. is podcasts about books, oh, social yeah. media that features books where mm-hmm. you're hitting those appeal factors. Your favorite villains display is Reader's Advisory. Exactly. Because oh. that that hits at that like level of characterization mm-hmm. that I think some people are totally drawn to. Mm-hmm. An anti-hero, a character that you, you know, love to hate. Mm-hmm. That is definitely something that people gravitate towards without always knowing how to articulate it. Exactly. This episode is Covert Reader's Advisory, (laughs) and you and I are ciphers for the audience. I see. Exactly. 
they out there can read these eight books. That's the beauty. <laughs> or you can call your library yes. and give them your list of uh, things that you like to read. It's, sometimes it's also helpful to go off of a book mm-hmm. that you you don't always have to know exactly what things mm-hmm. that you like to read. If you can just mention a book or an author that you particularly enjoy. Mm-hmm. Personally, it helped me to know that you liked Gods of Jade and Shadow, Roddy. Mm-hmm. Going into kind of thinking about your right. list, like that helped me kind of be in the right space for some of the suggestions okay. that I made for you. So sometimes just mentioning a title. Right. And also, I was just thinking, um, the reason why I heard of the revisioners before was because of the vanishing half. Those kept coming up in similar ways. This is so cool. I don't know. I feel like you just did like a really in- <laughs> intricate magic trick. It was a magic trick. I'm just like, oh. Right. And those books, I would say, have have I, probably similar mm-hmm. appeals. They would have a, a similar reading audience. Mm-hmm. I would definitely suggest the revisioners to people who liked the vanishing half. Um, I, I think you making that connection is you totally, you know, clicking with this with the idea of appeal factors. This is so cool. This is like book wizardry. I don't even think matchmaking is enough. Like there's magic to this, Jeff. We need to acknowledge that. I knew there was magic to it. That's why I got Sarah on the podcast, because I knew it would be a magic trick. That's why we're here. And then just go back to your last point about having just a book, like a mm-hmm. little jumping off point. I think that is also because there's there. Uh, there shouldn't necessarily be pressure on the patron to walk in knowing mm-hmm. their 10 or five appeal factors. You could just come in and say, I really love E.L. Doctorow books and he's only written 15 and I read all of them. Now what do I do? <laughs> or I, I, I love Ready Player One. Are there more books like that? And so you can just jump off, right? right. So that's that. Sarah, thanks for being here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Roddy, it's always a pleasure. It's totally been a pleasure. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna. I have too many books to read. Roddy knows this. Yeah, he's gonna read like several romance books and then dive into that list. I was very tempted to just put a romance on his list because Please. reading, reading outside of your comfort zone, and you know, if I could assign homework to sure. everybody out there, is to pick up a book. Sure. Outside of your comfort zone, even if you do a skim on it and you think about who's the audience for this, why do people like mm-hmm. it, um, and think about it, you know, try to think about it a little bit less critically. Sure, sure, sure. Right? You're not writing an English paper anymore. Like, we're we're trying to think of the good, the good <laughs> things of the book. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to go pick up a mystery thriller and just go to read the romance <laughs> Please see our previous episode where I am told to read romance books. Possibly an ongoing thing. Uh, well, thank you so much, Sarah. I'd love to have you back on the podcast. Roddy as well. Thank Yay. you both for being here. Thank you. That was our chat. Uh, Sarah Bowman, thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me. Roddy Brown, as always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, We'll see you soon on another episode. We'll see you soon on another episode. I can't wait. Hope uh, folks um, can find some good books to read from this episode. We'll have links to all those books on our show notes on the website. Uh, So we thank you for listening again to another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It is the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. 
The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by a local musician, John Duffy. If you want to support this podcast, go to ferndalefriends.org, or you could like or follow it, or leave a comment, or give it a five-star review, or tell your friends, especially if your friends are looking for books to read. Maybe you could share this episode to social media. We'd really appreciate it. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.